Hi, this is Gamer Mom Luna from Tales from the Tavern on Twitch, and you're listening to Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In the time between making chapters 18 and 19, I had this idea for a complication in the PC's plan that was more interesting than whatever I might randomly generate on the table I'd prepared, so I threw out the table and went with DM Fiat. The idea was that the nature of the public execution would change for the third and last day of the King's three days of blood and justice. This finale would replace the one-at-a-time beheadings featured over the previous two days with an all-at-once multi-execution. Because the event was at least as much a show as a punishment and warning, the method of execution was a nasty contrivance that added slow torture, irony, and drama to the experience. Five prisoners were put on stage and forced to stand directly under a trough of boiling oil. They were forced to use wooden poles to hold the trapdoor bottom closed, while the pins locking it shut were removed. After that, the idea was that they would slowly weaken, unable to save themselves without dooming their fellows, until such a time that someone's strength and endurance ran out. Once one of them dropped their pole, boiling oil would rain down on all of the prisoners. It was meant to be quite a memorable finale. But, unexpectedly, the crowd turned on the authorities, displeased with the level of cruelty they were being shown. Perhaps by then their thirst for blood had been slaked, and all they saw was naked cruelty and human suffering. While the crowd voiced its displeasure, Cole launched the Ferrum Mandicare, still held in a cup, into the tightly packed assembly of guards. Then, all hell broke loose. The Rust Monster had the feast of a lifetime as it consumed armor, weapons, and all the metal in sight. Meanwhile, the church launched phase two of the operation. A pair of their agents leapt on the stage, knocked the trough of burning oil back into the guards, and freed the prisoners. The crowd broke apart then, stampeding in all directions as mayhem took over Burton Square. Between the Lines Wow, we are already at episode 20, and I feel like the plot is really beginning to cook. Let's take a moment to pause and take stock of the game board. There are a lot of pieces in play, at least it feels that way to me. The PCs are laying low, having a quiet celebration at the Owl and Bear Tavern this evening. Catsbane has some news to share with them, but we'll get to that soon enough. Other than Catsbane's news, they still have a few leads to follow, with mysteries concerning Stablemaster Zarin, among others. Next, we have Nightmother and her henchwoman, Romola. They are clearly connected to the Weeping Eyes, either as members or allies. I think that for now, they are biding their time in a wait-and-see position. That's just as well, because in Silmoral, we've got quite a bit going on. King Culfrey will probably feel embarrassed by the Church's having disrupted his third day of public executions. 
In addition to having up to five escaped prisoners on his hands, he's going to have a lot of wounded soldiers. In fact, some may well have died. On top of that is the huge pile of armor and weapons that has been turned into junk. The king is not going to be pleased at all. I wonder if he'll blame Belloc or Sindwan for the debacle. Hold that thought too. Let's finish setting up all the pieces on the game board. Carrick, the basilisk of Whitestone Castle, is busy at work in some part of the dungeon underneath the castle. He's trying to open a magically sealed door, and he might eventually succeed. Also, at some point, he'll probably return to his laboratory to discover that he's been robbed. Would he be able to identify Catsbane from his new assistant's description of him? Would she have even remained after reading Catsbane's note of warning? Hmm, I'm not sure about that. There's more. We've got something strange going on at the Church of the Sacred Flame. There's the weird murder of a cleric, and the holy symbol that Sister Araness wants to examine. But I'm burying the lead, aren't I? Sister Savant has been transformed into something not quite human. Who knows what she, or should I say they, intend to do next. Finally, there's the NPC church members, both known and unknown to us, and the members of the Weeping Eyes who are still engaged in a guild war. For the past few days, it has played out through the proxy of the authorities' execution spectacles, all under the open sky and in broad daylight, but now it will almost certainly return to the shadows. Those are the major players right now. There are other forces at play, too, but I don't think they are ready to place their pieces on the game board just yet. Chapter 20 Part 1 Day 53 Night Party Status Yellowfly 19 of 19 hit points Cole 12 of 12 Shawnee 13 of 13 Catsbane 6 of 6 Spells available Catsbane has memorized Magic Missile Thievery, Rebellion, and Mischief Yellowfly's stomach was so full, it hurt. He had spent much of their remaining money to make sure that their victory was celebrated with a meal to remember. Torley had brought them course after course. Butter and green beans with twice-baked cake rusks to start. Steak pies followed, then blood pudding, and finally, brandy-soaked slices of apples and pears. They washed it all down with enough beer to drop an ogre. Before they got too drunk to think straight, Yellowfly made sure to talk a little necessary business. I think we're back in the good graces of the higher-ups after today. And tomorrow I'll ask the Lord Rabbit for a new job. Too bad Colfrey wasn't there to appreciate our work. <laughs> Laughed Cole. I'm a little surprised, to be honest, remarked Shawnee. I would have thought he'd not miss a public torture. Especially as he probably believed Bellic's story about those prisoners being church members. High-ranking church members, corrected Shawnee. Just so. Well, I'm sure he would have been there. Perhaps he didn't feel safe. You know what Tam would have said, don't you? Asked Cole. He would have pointed out that Culfrey is a prisoner, just like the rest of us, trapped in Whitestone Castle without the liberty to ever leave its walls. Perhaps there's some truth to that. By all the gods, I wish you were here with us now. So do we all, Cole. But we'll have to let the priests and sages argue about liberty. I know I'd prefer to see Culfrey in a real dungeon rather than a rich castle. Anyway, Catsbane, you've been waiting to talk about something. Go ahead, we're listening. Yellowfly leaned back in his chair and rubbed his distended belly, while Catsbane pulled out the waxed-sealed letter he had taken from Carrick's personal chamber. He unfolded the paper and smoothed it on the table. It's blank, said Shawnee, nonplussed. I'm not sure what you're telling us, Catsbane. There's something on the other side? guessed Cole, weakly. Catsbane shook his head. Is this yet more philosophy? We're all a blank page or something like that. I'm not sure I have the patience for more fantasies of thought, mumbled Yellowfly. 
Uh, no, it's n- nothing like that. Uh, this is something quite serious and real, I'm afraid. This page used to have a letter written on it. The writer used a magical ink which disappears once read. Uh, this is an old trick, a habit of mages from a time when they guarded their secrets, well, even more closely than they do now. And you've managed to retrieve the original message somehow, guessed Yellowfly. Retrieve? No, no, I'm, uh, I'm afraid that's not possible. That's the whole point of... Uh, uh, anyway, I really wanted to show you this. Catsbane pointed to the wax seal. It still contained the imprint of the sender. I don't recognize that signet, said Yellowfly. Nor I, added Shawnee. And indeed neither did I, agreed Catsbane. But when I used the third eye, uh, you recall how I did so with the ciphers. The others remembered. How could they forget witnessing something like that? Well, uh, the third eye can read more than just languages and codes. It can also decipher the meaning of symbols. Catsbane frowned at the seal of red wax. I used the spell upon this seal, and frankly, I don't much care for what I learned. Perhaps you'd better just tell us whatever it is that you found out, Catsbane. In the past, the spell has always turned up a single meaning, but this time, it was different. The symbol on this seal has multiple meanings. One of them refers to a being named Azorazul, but there are further levels of meaning. It can also be translated as suffering and uh, domination. I, I, think, I think this seal belongs to an entity. An entity, repeated Yellowfly, shaking his head in confusion. I mean, I think it belongs... I think it belongs to a demon. Huh. Surprisingly, Yellowfly laughed. Then he took a long swig of beer and said, Sorry, but don't seem so surprised, Catsbane. I've always known that wizards kept counsel with demons and devils. Everyone knows that. And I think everyone here can agree. This is just not our problem. The shades of the bygone people lingers on the wind and on the lips of the survivors of this hell on earth. What stories will they tell? Echoes of Eshetan is a solo play podcast set in the world of Degenesis, a primal punk post-apocalyptic game by Six More Vodka Studios. With a simple D6 dice system and high-stakes combat, which should make the clutch dice rolls all the more exciting. Join me, Coop the GM, for a new story across the ruinous landscapes of Borca, the festering swamps of Franca, and the killing fields of Hyraspania. Will the characters uncover sinister plots or succumb to death a thousandfold? Find out on Echoes of Eshetan, a solo play TTRPG podcast. Listener discretion is advised. A quick bit of housekeeping. In the last episode, Yellowfly was not really an active participant. He had already played his part to completion and was so essentially just hiding out. For this reason, I've decided that he will not receive experience points for that episode. Shawnee and Catsbane were both at least somewhat active and exposed, even if it was Cole who had the spotlight most of the time. All three of them will receive credit for the episode, as normal. There's something else I need to figure out before I can proceed with the story, and that's how Culfrey will react to the debacle at Burton Square. I think it's a given that Silmoral will shut all its gates and that some kind of retributive investigation will happen. There'll be a curfew and soldiers will fill the ranks of the City Watch. Of all these measures, only the sealing of the city gates will occur on the day of the event. 
By the time Balak and his men are able to kill the rust monster and restore some kind of order, there would only be an hour or two left of daylight. It would take even more time to alert and inform the king, and Balak would not be among his remaining men to lead them. He would be with the king. So, how will Colfrey react? We don't know much about Silmoral's monarch, do we? His own people call him Colfrey the Terrible. A good number of people in Nepule hate him, and there's talk of rebellion, even if it is just a whisper. I'm going to decide Colfrey's response with a pair of D6s. A simple reaction roll will sort this out. Here comes the roll. As far as Belloc is concerned, the higher the roll, the better. Hmm, I've got a seven. This roll measures Colfrey's disposition, certainly, but I'm going to say that it also indicates that the overall damage done in Britain Square is not as bad as it might have been. I think we can safely say that Belloc will keep his head, but he'll probably want to avoid future failures. You know, I think it'd be interesting to finally meet Colfrey and see what kind of a man he is. Let's do that. Chapter 20 Part 2 Day 53 a few hours ago. The sun had already set by the time Belloc found himself in the corridor that led to the king's salon. Ensconced torches flickered as he walked briskly by. He was about to knock on the semi-open door when he heard the king's voice. Come in, Belloc. Belloc pushed the door the rest of the way open and entered the salon. Culfrey was there, lying on an elegant divan, upholstered in white leather, the king was a short man with long, straight brown hair and beady eyes above sharp cheekbones. He wore a green silk shirt with puffy sleeves slashed with yellow. His ochre stockings matched his cap, except that the cap was adorned with large green jewels and was trimmed in thread of gold. A pair of very young girls, perhaps just five or six years old, knelt on the floor in front of the king. They were wearing white dresses and each held a bouquet of roses. The girls faced away from Colfrey. The three of them were posing for a portrait. The painter was bald, and his scalp showed beads of perspiration, even though it was cold in the salon. An easel was set up, and the artist nervously dabbed his brush at the canvas it supported. Quite a mess you've got on your hands, drawled the king. Not in keeping with our usual expectations. For you... Belloc bowed. Your Majesty. Tell us the cost. The king shifted on the divan, and a look of frustration crossed the artist's face, though he remained silent. Seven men, badly burned. Three are not expected to live. Colfrey looked hard at Belloc, with his lips pursed. He showed an empty palm and raised an eyebrow. And? Thirty-three chain halberds, twenty-seven breastplates, a dozen helmets, nine gauntlets, and forty-two spirits. An expensive pageant it turned out to be, wouldn't you say? Belloc did not answer, but just stood at attention. <laughs> Colfrey sniffed and shifted again, causing the painter to bite his lip. The two girls were frozen like statues. They hadn't moved an inch since Belloc entered. Even their expressions remained fixed, although their eyes were now on the captain. What of the escaped prisoners? We've caught three of them. We'll have the other two in custody anon. You ordered a curfew? I had the gates sealed, but I did not order a curfew, Your Majesty. I thought that might send the fugitives deeper into hiding, and I'd rather they felt comfortable right now. Order a curfew tomorrow night, Colfrey said. As you wish, Highness and catch those other two prisoners. When you have all five, bring them to us unspoiled. We would fain speak with them. By your command. Chapter 20, Part 3, Day 67, 
Noon. Party status. Yellowfly. 19 of 19 hit points. Cole. 12 of 12. Shawnee. 13 of 13. Catsbane. 6 of 6. Spells available. Catsbane has memorized Read Magic and Magic Missile. Bellic's curfew had taken effect on the day after the attack. Each day from then on, after sunset, anyone found abroad in any part of the city was arrested. Depending on their status, they were either fined, beaten, or imprisoned. Fines were most common during the first two weeks of curfew, as the city watch had a lot of restocking to pay for. Silmarillion blacksmiths and armorers found no rest, but they did grow rich. Yellowfly and his gang had no chance to speak with Lord Rabbit during this time. Early on, a boy had been sent round to deliver instructions. They were to lay low, stay inside, make no attempt to contact anyone in the church, and most of all, respect the curfew. Yellowfly, Shawnee, and Cole grew bored quickly, having little to do besides playing cards, sleeping, and talking. Catsbane had a few books in their apartment by now and spent most of his time reading and studying. At one point, he offered to teach Shawnee to read, and she had been enthusiastic until she found out that becoming literate required a considerable effort on her part. She lasted only a few lessons before giving up. Yellowfly tried to learn to play the flute, but he also lacked discipline and never picked up the skill. On the same day the curfew was lifted, the messenger boy returned to say that the Lord Rabbit would meet with Yellowfly, but not for another three days. They were desperate for information, but even more than that, they needed to earn some money. Every copper penny had been spent by then, and they'd gone without a proper meal on the previous day. Yellowfly decided that they would go hungry no longer. He called his companions together. Today we're going to earn some coin and get some food into us, he declared. Yellowfly's plan to, as he puts it, earn some coin, will take place in two stages. Stage one is to be completed by Cole and Shawnee. Stage two can't begin until the first part is successful, so I'll wait to talk about that. Cole and Shawnee will go to the Southgate area and visit the office of a man named Hargrave. Hargrave is a barrister. When businesses draw up official papers, or when those of the upper class draw up contracts for marriage or need deeds of ownership, his is the kind of service they use. Hargrave's establishment is located just a stone's throw from the Fall Fallow Inn, by the way. Shawnee and Cole will travel together and then split up. Cole will stand across the street, half in and half out of an alley, waiting for someone to come out of Hargrave's office. Meanwhile, Shawnee will linger near the business's facade. Patrons of businesses like this one often carry a decent purse, and Shawnee's job is, with Cole's help, to simply cut that purse. Cole will provide the distraction by accosting the mark and asking whether the barrister is an honest businessman and should Cole's family use him to draw up the deed to their business, and so on and so forth. While Cole occupies the mark, Shawnee will sneak up behind and go to work. This attempt will require her to use her thief's special pickpocket skill. Even at third level, thieves are not very good at their special skills. She has a mere 30% chance to succeed, and if I roll over a 60, the mark will notice the attempt. With Cole's distraction, I'm going to add a 5% bonus, so she'll succeed on any roll under a 35 and only be noticed if I roll over a 70. If that happens, Shawnee and Cole do have a backup plan, but will they even need it? Oh yeah, one more thing. If I roll a failure, I'm going to have them wait an hour and try again with a new mark. I'll allow three such attempts before they need to give up. Here's the roll on a D percentile. I've got a 40. 
The first mark is streetwise and shifts his purse before Sean A can try to cut it. About one hour later, they try again. The roll. Ho ho, a 29. That is a success. I wonder what she got. Did she cut the whole purse or just make a slit and fish out a coin or two? Hmm, I'll say that she can get a value of 2 to 40 gold pieces from this little bit of roguery. Rolling 2d20. I rolled a 12. Okay, I think she manages to slit the purse and slip out four coins while Cole provides his distraction. She gets two platinum and two gold pieces. Chapter 20 Part 4 Day 67 Late afternoon Party status The party status is unchanged. Catsbane finished his meal and paid the serving man with a single platinum coin. Before walking away to get his change, the aproned man inquired, My lord found his meal acceptable. Excellent, replied Catsbane, dabbing the corners of his mouth with a napkin. The meal had been delicious, doubly so for Catsbane's stomach having been empty for a day. The appetizer was a leek soup. Then there followed a main course of broiled beef dressed with caramelized onions and cream. The establishment was considered upscale for the high market district. Perhaps it did not compare to places in Rosedale, but for the city's outermost ring, this was decadent. The serving man came back with his change presently and placed a stack of four gold coins on the table while Catsbane got up and allowed the man to help him into his cloak. It was cold outside, with the late autumn showing a hint of the winter to come. Catsbane gathered his coins, put up his hood, and left the establishment. He took a circuitous route back to their apartment and rejoined his three companions. They were waiting for him. Shawnee's face looked less thin than it had that morning. Perhaps they had bought some food while he had been gone and had a meal of their own. Probably a loaf of bread from the bakery downstairs shared between them. How is the food? Terrible. He lied, smiling broadly. And I almost cut my thumb off on Cole's coin. When Cole and Shawnee had returned, victorious from their early afternoon pickpocketing mission, Yellowfly had told Cole to use his hatchet to put a notch into one of the platinum coins. Hit it, but not hard enough to ruin it, he had instructed. Just enough to make a noticeable mark. Cole had done so, striking the coin with his weapon and gouging a notch into the side. Yellowfly had inspected it, declared it a good job, and handed it to Catsbane, who was already dressed in his good linen trousers and leather jerkin. Ah! yipped Catsbane. He had cut himself on the coin's edge. A little bead of blood appeared on the pad of his thumb, and he stuck it into his mouth. Good idea, said Yellowfly, mysteriously. Now go off and order something irresponsible. That had been two hours ago. Since then, Catsbane had gone to the restaurant Yellowfly had named, ordered a full meal, and paid with a single coin. Now he was back. My turn. Wish me luck, said Yellowfly. He was wearing respectable clothes under his heavy cloak, though he wished he had on something finer. This outfit was his best, however, and would have to do. He took a different route than Catsbane had, but his destination was the same restaurant. He entered the place, hung his cloak on a peg, and took a seat. Then he waited for the server to finish with another customer, an aged man with a curved back who had just finished a plate of whitefish and was sipping a cup of Zacian sour wine. Yellowfly ordered a cup of the Zacian sour and a bowl of the same leek soup Catsbane had eaten as an appetizer. He took his time over the small meal, and when it was done, he paid for it with a single gold piece. While he waited for his change, the old man with the crooked back raised his cup to him in silent salute and smiled a toothless smile. Yellowfly raised his glass and toasted the air in front of him, nodding to the man and smiling back. 
he thought. It works better when there is an audience. Presently, the server returned, placed two silver coins and change on the table, bowed, and began to walk away. Excuse me, said Yellowfly in a raised voice. The server turned around. Will there be something further, my lord? Yes, there damn well will be something further. Where's the rest of my change? Yellowfly stared hard into the splay-featured face of the serving man, who looked back incredulously. Why, why, sire, I'm sure you must be mistaken. I, I... Mistaken? I... I'm mistaken. You are very much mistaken if you take me for a fool, sir. Yellowfly started to rise from his chair. Standing at his full height, he towered six inches over the other man. Uh, of, of course not, my lord, but I, I know not what has upset you. The price of your meal is eight silver pieces. What has upset me, sir, is that I gave you a platinum coin, and you have returned with two silvers. No, no, my lord. I'm, I'm positive you paid for your meal with a gold coin. Villain! Do you intend to rob me so brazenly? I gave you a platinum coin, knave. Look! Here, Yellowfly presented his thumb. He had cut it on the coin the same way Catsbane had, albeit intentionally, and a little reddish-purple line was easily visible on it. Check your strongbox and you'll find the coin I paid with. It has a sharp and ragged edge. See? I cut my thumb on it earlier today. Go and look. This good man here is my witness. He pointed at the old man without breaking eye contact with the server. The smaller man bowed again and scuttled off into the back room, where he could be heard to argue with someone for a few moments before returning with the marked platinum piece in his hand. He was looking at it in wonder, as though he had never seen a coin before. Precisely the one. Now, aren't you forgetting something? Oh, exclaimed the server, who rushed back into the office and then returned with four gold coins. He placed these on the table in front of Yellowfly. A thousand apologies, my lord. Huh, snorted Yellowfly, who snatched the coins from the table and walked out the door with a swagger. The old man still looked on over the rim of his cup, with his toothless smile spreading once again across his face. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you like what you've heard and would like to lend your support, there are lots of ways to help. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can purchase One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum World Building Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. Finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. My thanks to everyone who has supported the show in these ways. I'd like to share one of your generous reviews right now. This one is on Apple Podcasts and was posted by Jake Tooth. Jake Tooth writes, My dad, who introduced me to D&D as a child, and I'm currently working my way quickly through Season 1. The show is thoughtfully put together and excellently told. The story is at times beautiful and brutal. The characters are well-rounded and never safe. Thanks so very much, Jake Tooth. Beautiful and brutal. I love that. You know, I am overwhelmed by all the love that the show receives, and I'm so grateful to you and all the other reviewers for their kind words of encouragement. How cool is it that your dad not only introduced you to D&D, but also to Tale of the Manticore? That is a beautiful thing. I hope you and your dad will enjoy Season 2 when you get there. Now, I also owe a debt of gratitude to my superb cast of voice actors. This episode features Cat's Bane, played beautifully as always by the multi-talented Kyellen. If you're looking for music for your own production projects, Kyellen's work on SoundCloud is free for anyone to use. If you want to listen to RPG-style soundtracks or use them for your home games, search for him on Spotify, Bandcamp, or other music stores. Bellic is wonderfully voiced by a newcomer, Dr. Matthew Brooks. Dr. Brooks is a retired actor and full-time family medicine physician in North Carolina who regularly DMs through Shard Tabletop and Discord. 
I asked him if he had anything to plug, and he said that he had nothing other than a thank you to me for the show. You're welcome. And a shout out to his gaming group, John, Scott, Joe, Kent, and fellow Manticore voice actor, Dave. Of course, he's talking about David Cooper, who played Phelan's father in a previous episode, and King Colfrey in this one. Find David on socials as at that Dave Cooper and see him in the Netflix movie The Curse of Bridge Hollow and PBC on YouTube. Finally, the server at the restaurant is performed by Jonathan with the Sojourners Awake podcast. And boy, Jonathan, did you nail that role. What a killer cast today. I think everyone nailed their part. I'm feeling very lucky to be surrounded by this much talent. And so to the four of you, I'd like to say thank you very much. As always, I'm on the usual socials, at Manticore Tale on Twitter, or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. I also keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG-related stuff, like maps and tables and musings and crafts and show notes. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Welcome, Sojourners. You have found yourself a cozy place at Sojourners Awake. I'm Jonathan, and together we produce audio dramas while playing our favorite 5th edition role-playing game. Our stories of epic fantasy are told in the homebrewed world of Bonsaro. Heroes like Felthrin Grovelor, The Bookends, and Traina the Dryad all come to life in this podcast. We focus on actual play storytelling while trimming all of the table talk and rules discussion in post. Instead, we focus on forming a compelling narrative together as players, with the end result being a wonderful audio drama which you can enjoy. So visit Sojourners Awake today, and as always, may your story continue.